You're listening to Popcorn Poops, episode 90, in which we watch and discuss Darren Aronofsky's 2008 film The Wrestler for hashtag Poopling Picks Month. If you'd like to sync this podcast episode up to the movie, go ahead and start the film and then press pause as soon as the title card reading Fox Searchlight Pictures Presents completely fades to black. We'll get things started here soon, but first here's a word from our poo pals over at the projection booth. Hi, I'm Mike White. And I'm Rob St. Mary. And we're the hosts of the Projection Booth Podcast. If you haven't heard of the Projection Booth, that's okay. But we think it's time that you have. We've been doing this for over three years now. And we think we're doing a pretty good show. Every week we look at a different film and put it in context. We try to bring you interviews with the people behind the films. Or experts on a subject matter covered in the film. We don't specialize in any one particular genre or type of film. We try to examine every aspect of cinema. From every corner of the globe. Even at three years, we barely just scratched the surface. But we're ready. We're ready for you to listen to us. That's right. Now's the time to give us a shot. Download us through our free smartphone app. Or through Stitcher, iTunes, Geek Juice Radio, Jackalow. Or our website. Projection-booth.com. We'll keep making great shows. Now it's your turn to listen to them. We are the Popcorn Poops. Welcome to Popcorn Poops, the best married couple movie podcast slash commentary track hybrid audio program on the internet. My name is Dustin, and with me as always is my beautiful, radiant, lovely wife and co-host, Jessica. Hello. Hello. That was a pretty fantastic introduction. Thank you very much. I have vocabulary words that I can use with my mouth to elicit a certain response from you, and that response was happiness, I think. Yeah. I can read your face and see that. How was your week? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I'm a Pokemon master, so I'm out there hitting the streets, just, you know, training. Pokemon Go, taking over the world. Um, I believe you have a funny anecdote to share with the the audience, the listeners, about Pokemon Go. Oh, yeah, just I'm I'm teaching a summer class at UTC, and... uh, and the first day we came back to class after Pokemon Go had come out, um, I was, you know, everybody was catching Pokemon in the room, and I was just like, okay, guys, just so you know, get it out of your system, because catching a Pokemon in the classroom is not an excuse to take out your phone. And one of the students was like, well, but what if it's a Mewtwo? And I was like, well, obviously, I'm a logical person. You know, there's, if of course, if it's a Mewtwo, right? Let's be like, rational about Let's be this. rational. I'm going to need to take out my phone, too, but... <laughs> Uh, right on. Well, that's a. I'm sure that you are very liked as a teacher. I'm sure if I had a had a teacher that was into Pokemon's when I was in college, <laughs> I'd be like, "You're the greatest. You're the greatest <laughs> professor of all time. I love you so much. Please kiss me." Oh my god. <laughs> as always, you can find us on our website at popcornpoops.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. That's right, YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. Nothing on there except the episodes, but we do put every single podcast up so you can enjoy it there. Uh, on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at Popcorn Poops or individually. I am at Dusty Cram Cram. And I am at J Casper Kramer. You can like us on Facebook and also follow us on Instagram uh, where we're posting some cool pictures from time to time about stuff. And social media is really the best place to stay updated about the show, uh, including our weekly movie still identification game. That's where we post it all over social. And if you want to uh, enjoy that excellent, wonderful, whole hell of a lot of fun game with us, uh, then that's the place to do it. Uh, you can also follow our Twitch channel, uh, and that's Pixel Poops. We call ourselves the Pixel Poops over there. It's very cute. And it's at twitch.tv slash the Pixel Poops. Uh, we don't have a schedule or anything like that, so when you uh, subscribe to our channel, uh, be sure to turn on notifications so you know when we go live, whenever random moment that may be. If you want to support the show, we do have a merchandise shop on our website where you can buy 
t-shirts and buttons and tote bags. I think we've got a mug up there now, a Caw Travel mug or something like that. Uh, you can also donate to us directly by going to our website and clicking on the giant pink donut button that's on the right sidebar. Uh, you can also sign up for a free trial at audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops where you will receive a free audiobook that's yours to keep forever, even if you don't continue with your trial after it has expired. The very best way to support the show, just so you know, is by submitting a re- uh, rating and review for us on iTunes and or Stitcher. Yes, you can you can submit to both. Uh, and if you submit us a review, if you write us a little review, we will read it on the show. Speaking of which, do we have a review to read today? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> which is why it's so imperative that you are dear, dear, dearest poopling. Go to iTunes. If you haven't done this yet, go to iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, leave us a little star rating, whatever you think it is we deserve. We do like honesty please be honest in your yeah, review we do. but we also really like five stars mm, so yeah. mm-hmm. do with that what you will uh but yeah we definitely will read that review on the show no matter what you write so think of the weirdest craziest shit you can make us say and we'll we'll almost definitely say it uh this month we have a theme as we do every single month and this month's theme is hashtag poopling picks month which is basically just listener request month uh and this week we'll be watching darren aronofsky's 2008 film the wrestler requested by david dasoff from nashville tennessee let's listen to david's voicemail hey guys my name is david dasoff from nashville tennessee and i absolutely love your podcast i wanted to throw my hat in the ring and suggest darren aronofsky's 2009 film the wrestler first off on a personal level this is one of the major movies that made me want to one day be a director of photography it also helped me start looking at film with a more critical eye Secondly, the film does a wonderful job of illustrating two parallel characters with the same struggle, what it's like to grow old and no longer be good or relevant in a field you used to dominate. Mickey Rourke totally sells the audience as an aging wrestler where his days are obviously numbered, and on the other side of that coin, Marissa Tomei plays a stripper that has to compete with younger, up-and-coming talent only to be cast aside. The film is utterly heartbreaking, yet positive and uplifting all at the same time creating a perfect storm of emotion so there you have my reason for why you should choose the wrestler thanks for the consideration guys and keep up the good work thanks a bunch david let's get to it sinkers press play at the beep after the countdown ready three two one and we're off so had you seen this movie before i'm assuming you have oh yeah definitely i saw it in theaters oh did you yes oh did definitely i went to the cinema Went to the cinema to see the wrestler with Darren Aronofsky. Had a very good time. Uh, and we're opening here. Uh, we're opening the movie with... Uh, what is this song? I've got it written in my notes um, here. I have it in Me- my notes. Metal Health or metal something? Metal Health's Quiet Riot. Oh, by Quiet Riot. Sorry. <laughs> metal Health. <laughs> that the, shows how much I know. The Metal Health that owns... <laughs> Quiet Riot, and that's the name of the song. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually parenthesis, open parenthesis, bang your head, close parenthesis, Metal Health by Quiet Riot. There we go. Quiet Riot. I mean, this movie is wall-to-wall, junky, shitty uh, hair metal from the 80s, which is kind of perfect, uh, but the, it's also like 
there are the lyrics that they choose the songs that they choose have lyrics that i feel are consistent with the themes and oh, the yeah. subtext and whatnot and they even do it a couple times where there are just a little a couple moments um where they only give us like one or two lines from the song, but it's pretty much exactly what that character is going through in that moment. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I, I mean, so, it, it, so it's nice. It's in some cases it's almost kind like of on, on the, the nose. nose. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's pretty it's pretty uh-huh. uh, blatant. It's almost like not even subtext. It's just text at that point. Um, which which I would typically critique kind of negatively, except it just it flows so well oh, into it, this it weird kind of movie. Yeah, so. it definitely works. Um, you know the. Well, some of the lyrics for this song, Bang Your Head, Metal Health, uh, include, I'm an axe grinder pile driver, which, of course, it's a, it's a movie about a wrestler, and uh, I'm remonstrated outdated, which is definitely, a, yep. it's about kind of uh, losing your edge or growing out of uh, your field, I well, guess, I mean- growing, growing old too old to be an expert in your field look at look at the first the first thing that we get so we get um a bunch of just cheering and noise and chaos to the music and and all these magazine color covers and stuff from when he was in his prime yeah magazine and ad clippings you know coupled with Mm -hmm. these radio broadcasts and commentary that give us this the history of this character played by mickey rourke randy the ram robinson as a pro wrestler through the years um, you know, we're seeing Mickey Rourke's face uh, before and after his real life plastic surgery. So we're really kind of getting the scope of not only this character, but the actor as well. And kind of what he's put himself through much like this actor. I feel like the casting is very uh, reflective of the character uh, that we're seeing here. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, and then, of course, the first thing that we see. Well, it's not even see. It's the first thing we hear is coughing. Yeah, we hear coughing before we ever see anything, and in that moment, having never seen this movie before, in that moment, I hit that beat, and I'm just like, "Oh, I know what this is going to be about." Like, and I could just tell immediately. This guy in the red vest right here that we're looking at, uh, who's he's signing an autograph for, uh-huh. is Robert Siegel. He's the screenwriter. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. But it is the the opening. You know, hearing that cough, and you know, cutting from that r- the really kind of glossy. Uh, title sequence colorful glossy title sequence in which it's very upbeat very uh it's very much kind of indicative of a life of success i guess mm-hmm. and that's what we're seeing it's such a stark contrast you know what we're seeing the first thing in this movie we th- of course the first thing we hear is randy coughing and hacking slumped over in a folding chair in a children's classroom where he's just wrestled inside this public elementary school after yep. hours the grain in the film is really high this was shot on 16 millimeter film uh by uh maurice alberti who's a, an excellent uh director of photography who's uh, worked on such things as uh, Todd Salon's Happiness, Velvet Goldmine, Taxi to the Dark Side, uh, as recently as uh, on Creed, and then also on The Visit. So, you know, she's done like... The uh, Visit? Like the, the M. M. Night Shyamalan? Shyamalan? Yeah, so she's done everything from like, you know, uh, glossy uh, films to independent film to documentaries to documentary style found footage movies. Like she's done... It all, and this is—I I, I feel like the the um, the photography in this, the cinematography in this, is really kind of um, indicative of the kind of story that we're getting. It's very raw. Yeah, you know, it's it's high grain, high contrast, uh, and in t- in places almost documentary esque. Mm, yeah, you know, 
Um, so I think that that works really well, and and she does an excellent job photographing this film. And so here we're starting off with with just showing his world just going down. He can't even get into the trailer that he lives in. Right. He lives in. We we know he lives in a trailer park, or at least we will definitely know it soon if you haven't guessed it yet. Um, by this point in the movie, but. He can't even get into the trailer that he lives in. Right. Like, the state that his life is at, you know, he's getting into the back of his beat-up old van to go to sleep and and is messed up and he's having to, like, take medicine and, and whatever for his back pain and stuff. I think he said he threw out his back or something like that. He's trying or to maybe his, he's taking steroids or something right yeah, now. Yeah, trying to know. get his ice pack out of the, out of the, um, out of his trailer and his, uh, landlord or whatever the trailer park caretaker or whatever uh lenny played by mark Margol uh mark margolis um who's not in this movie very much but um does a good job with i mean he's a great actor he's a great great character actor um played a great part on uh breaking bad a lot of people will remember him for um and coming back from the wrestling match before he gets home, uh, we were talking about the songs kind of being a little bit on the nose. Right, yeah. And the song he's listening to in the car is Don't Know What You Got Till It's Gone by Cinderella. And, and just, you see on the dash, you know, while that's playing, the action figure of himself. Right. So it's like if you haven't gotten the point yet, then here you go. Well, exactly. He keeps an action figure of himself on the dash, and you see what he's looking at now, which are pictures, pictures of, himself. of himself in his prime. Um, and he keeps himself surrounded by his past, like, you know, these photos and all of this stuff that he, he intentionally keeps around and it kind of makes his present so much bleaker than it really needs to be. I like, I like some of these moments in this movie right here, like the one we're getting right now where I, the movie is teaching me about him, but, but tricks me at first. So like, you know, in this first scene before I know him, He's sleeping in his van and there are a bunch of kids banging on his windshield and stuff and telling him to wake up. And you think they're harassing him. That, at least that's the feeling I got right. from that moment. And and when he wakes up and acts like he's pissed, I get the impression that, that you know, that he's going to be angry at them. But instead it comes out and he's like, he's the guy that all the kids love. Yeah. And that's... Yeah. I think that that's a, a good point to make that he's still... Uh, he still receives some kind of adoration from somebody, mm-hmm. and the adoration that he receives are from old fans. You know, we mm-hmm. we see people we see people who do appreciate him. Oh yeah, you know, when he does matches and stuff, people he's oh, yeah. still the main thing. Exactly, like he he doesn't go unappreciated in this movie. I, I feel like he doesn't get um, he doesn't get compensated the way he used to, obviously, uh, financially or fiscally, right. but. Uh, emotionally, I feel like at least what he's getting from third parties and people mm-hmm. around him uh, is that adoration. Right, in that environment. But then here's the real world, right? Exactly. We, well, he's getting he adoration has, from kids two and lives. old fans, and then he's getting ridiculed by uh, his superiors at work. You know, we've got this this character here, Wayne, played by Todd Berry, stand-up comic, who, who just does an excellent job at playing a, like a wonderfully sniveling little weasel, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Just an awful boss. Just the kind of guy who, when he you, get, you hear his backstory without ever hearing his backstory. You know he was picked on in high school. You know he was always smaller than the other kids, that he didn't probably didn't have a lot of friends, whatever, and he's worked his way up in this grocery store and now he's, you know, asserting his authority over this guy who 
when they were in their prime was, you know, the the top dog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? And now he has the opportunity to assert his authority over this guy and give him hell, not, and he Not does. that he's any great in, in any great lofty place or anything right. like he's, that. He's, but he's, I mean, he's got a shit little office in the back of a dirty grocery where, store. Where he watches porn and Right, shit. yeah, no. And doesn't seem to care when people walk in on him watching porn. It's it's a very, it's a, that's a very strange moment later in the movie, but oh, I think yeah. it's... Um, I think it colors his character interesting, uh, very interestingly. Uh, now we're seeing a, kind of a locker room scene um, behind the scenes of a of a match that that Randy is getting ready for. Uh, a lot of these locker room scenes, I think, especially when they start talking, when they start working through their routines mm-hmm. and whatnot, uh, a lot of that is. Um, is improvised okay. because a lot of the people in this movie are, are actual wrestlers. Are actual wrestlers. Okay. And uh, yeah. as I understand it, they're uh, all with, I don't know if you, all right, I'm going to put this out there. I don't know a lot about pro wrestling and that's okay. I certainly don't. I, I, no one's perfect. Uh, but I don't know if you call it a league or an organization or something like that, but a lot of the wrestlers in this movie are with the ring of honor wrestling organization, pro wrestling organization. Um, some of them are they using their real names in this movie? Uh, some like of their them real are. Some stage of them names. Are. Yeah, I mean? some of them are. Uh, I don't know if all of them are. I didn't. I didn't dig that deep into research. I know that there are some uh, alumni from various other pro wrestling organizations, mm-hmm. but um, there were a couple of events that they shot. Uh, different matches in this movie at, and they were, as I understand, Ring of Honor events. Okay. Um, so I, I think that's probably how they got a lot of their their cast of extras. Um, but yeah, the kind of the things that they're talking about, I, I feel like in maybe lar- a larger organization, perhaps like the WWE, mm-hmm. um, the storyline or the plot points in these overarching stories that like go all the way from the beginning of the season all the way to right. WrestleMania, I feel like they're probably dictated from above. Uh, yeah, whereas, I would think that. Right. Whereas these guys, like indie wrestlers, you know, wrestling in community centers and mm-hmm. and churches sometimes and, you know, public elementary schools and stuff like that, I feel like they probably just work out their own routines, much like we're seeing in the in the locker right. room scene here. And, and like I said, uh, I believe that a lot of this is is, in fact, improvised. Um, and I, I find that really fascinating. Here's another another moment, uh, like like the one earlier with the kids where um where I was, <laughs> the movie took me for a little ride, where I see him taping this teeny tiny little razor to his wrist. And and I'm thinking to myself, oh shit, is he kind of dirty? Like, is he gonna fight kind of dirty? And, and, you know, tell this guy that they're doing whatever and then he's gonna go out there and actually cut him? Like, that was the impression that I got at first. And of course, that's not what's about to happen. No. Um, but... But this movie does that a number of times where they start to build up this character and give you the image that they think that you are going to assume. And which, to be fair, I did. I did assume. I I assumed he was going to be a pretty shitty person. Um, and, and it turns out that he's an incredibly likable character. Oh, so like, like, regardless of all the things that he does, he has like no ego. Yeah. He, it, it's, it's, which like, is crazy. It's like, of course he does all of this for selfish reasons. I guess in, in a way he's doing this for, 
I feel like this is a, a really a movie about art. It's about a guy who is a starving artist. And we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about his financial situation. But, um, but I feel like this is really a movie about what one will put themselves through for art. And when you look at it that way, can you really say that that's a selfish enterprise? Right. Um, if you keep yourself... Bo- it's a, it is a selfish enterprise when you have people who depend on you, though. Yeah, and and this movie digs into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he's lost people in his life, uh, in his life because uh, he did uh, practice, you know, what is ultimately a selfish act. But once you've lost everything and this is all you have, um, I feel like there's no ego to be had. What, right. what ego can he have about this anymore? Um, I think he does it because he loves it. Well, I mean, characters could have an ego at, at this oh, point. Oh, sure. But this character doesn't, though. Sure. And he, yes, like you said, he is supremely likable and really only does one really terrible thing in this movie. Right. Um, and that's that's later on. It's And, you know, it's a he gets angry and he kind of breaks down and it's the one really... Um, moment of heightened emotion I think Mm -hmm. in this movie maybe there's a couple of them but um but yeah I think that he really uh but you've got to have your characters make bad choices or it's not an interesting story exactly and it's earned like I feel it's earned it's you know it's a terrible thing but I think it's earned it doesn't come out of nowhere and we see him actually cutting himself with the razor he took into the ring right now um I feel like there's kind of a a parallel with Rocky the movie Rocky having the character Mickey cut his eye with a razor blade Uh just so he could continue to perform whereas with Ram it's part of the performance right yeah you know I think that there's a there's an that's definitely an interesting examination that you can make there um Rourke Mickey Rourke actually cut himself to did he really to quote unquote and this is a wrestling term to quote unquote get color as pro wrestlers actually do to spice up matches really um my dad told me years ago that uh what pro wrestlers would do is they would uh, cut themselves and then mm-hmm. they would like put petroleum jelly or something mm-hmm. over top of it so it would keep it sealed until you hit it and then when you hit it and I actually just hit myself in the head you could probably hear that mm-hmm. in the mic <laughs> um, and and when you hit it uh, it would open up and you would start bleeding I don't know if that's common practice I don't know how much dad knows about professional wrestling I've never really followed up on that <laughs> but uh, that's the thing that I, I heard. I mean, I time. guess we should talk about professional wrestling in our in our past then, because that's that's something that. Sure, um, I don't really have a. You've been to a wrestling match. I, I have. Think. I've been to one. Mm-hmm. See, it was a big one too. I haven't. It I was haven't. in like like one of the. Uh, it was at the. Um, Where would we graduate in high school? Uh, uh, it's called something else now, but at the but time it was, it the, was the Gaylord Entertainment yeah, Center. The Gag. It's Bridgestone. Bridgestone now or Bridge Bridge. Firestone, Bridgestone, something, whatever. Bridgestone Anyways, it was there. It was there. It was a big WWE match or F. I don't know. Maybe which at the time it was it, WWF. Yeah, it might have been F at the time. Um, but yeah, I had a friend who uh, their family was really into wrestling, and and I guess they had an extra ticket, and so they let me go with them when they went. And I had never been to anything like that, and it was fun. I mean, it was a gosh, you get there, and for someone who. It's very doesn't soapy. care very, about wrestling yeah. at all and doesn't have any interest in it or whatever like like go just going to it and watching it you get all caught up in it it's oh, emotional and definitely. heightened and 
and it's it's very soapy. It's it's very. I mean, and I don't say that just because it's heightened emotions, and of course that's part of it. But like, it's like a soap opera in the the storyline. There are several storylines going at the same time, mm-hmm. and they all you know cross paths and extend over each other and are long term storylines. Like they go over the course of an entire season uh, of wrestling all the way up to the big event. Uh, whatever that may be, depending on the organization. I guess in WWE would be WrestleMania. And there are, of, of course, a, a series of minor events leading up to the big event and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I read this really interesting article about pro wrestling that made me kind of want to get into it a little bit and, and try to figure it out. Um, but it was talking about how these storylines, while they seem kind of maybe a little facile and mm. uh, and and maybe a little rote and obviously kind of on the nose emotionally. Right, yeah, and, of and, course. You know, the, the most extreme heightened version of the emotions that they're dealing with. It's like you take the soapiest soap opera and you just wring it dry until you've exactly. got like just the... the Juiciest drips. But and imagine a soap opera in which people who were in the soap opera actually did get hurt. And right. when they actually got hurt, that actually affected storylines that were currently True. going on. Or people in the soap opera had actual real world rivalries, which caused them to do things in the ring that were not scripted, which then they... F- you know, forced to make a part of the storyline. Right. So things that things, the 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 article ended up ultimately saying, you know, something along the lines of, once you understand pro wrestling, it's not about you know trying to identify what's fake. It's trying to because you know it's all fake, so to speak. It's trying to identify what's real. Right. And right. that becomes and the fun part where you're like, all of this is scripted and all of this is fake, but that moment right there, that was genuine. There's something there. And those are the moments that you kind of look for and that, that kind of end up shaping, you know, your enjoyment of the of the sport, if you want to call it that. I just remembered something about the match, and I should have looked it up to see who it was because I'm sure I could figure it out with the internet. But in the match that I saw, I remembered there was some guy who had a relationship with a mop, I think, and the hmm. mop got... Uh, somebody put it through like a wood chipper or something like that and that was like a big guaranteed someone is going to comment <laughs> and be like you were at this match on this day uh, yeah exactly on our episode and be like oh yes actually that was uh, Monday oh, I'm Night- sure that was Monday Night Raw episode whatever on this date and yes that was definitely in Nashville and blah blah yeah I'm sure yeah but I have that distinct memory because I just remember being in I didn't realize there was so much storytelling that happened in wrestling it's I didn't understand story- that are you kidding it's all storytelling well right but then before I didn't realize that and so and so I was you know I was pretty taken aback by how much yeah yeah it's I mean like it's, I was like what why do dudes care about the why is there so <laughs> much about like people being in relationships you, you and go to stuff. one wrestling match and you're like I fucking, my, my whole I get it I my get whole it. view of men completely changed after I watched it yeah yeah I was like exactly. why do they care about this stuff but they did so back to the movie um oh boobs uh, oh yeah, we've, we've got Cassidy here, played by Cassidy or Pam. I'm probably going to go back and forth between Cassidy is her stripper name, Pam is her real name. Mm. Played uh, wonderfully by Marissa Tomei. She was nominated for an Oscar for this performance. Uh, she's experiencing much of what Randy is in this movie. She, you know, as as you know, of course, David um, said in his voicemail, mm-hmm. she's feeling like she's aged out of her field and she's not wanted anymore. We're introduced to her in a scene where there are guys that she mistakenly walked into a VIP 
VIP room with and they said, oh no, we wanted a, you know, another stripper. We wanted another girl. You're, you could be our mom or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And Brandy walks in and, you know, kind of scares them off. Um, but yeah, you know, this, I think this scene also kind of illustrates how, how Rand, why Randy and how Randy is how he is financially. Uh, you know, he gets paid by going to these wrestling matches and working what little he does at, you know, the grocery store, stocking shelves and whatnot. Uh, and then he spends it at the strip club, you know, even when he's been kicked out of his home. He's been kicked out of his home at this point. Oh, right. His financial situation, I am I am completely shocked by his financial situation where he can have these kind of muscles and be as poor as he is. I mean, I just think about how expensive the gym membership is going to be at the Y after we stop getting it free from your work, yeah, right? And yeah, I'm yeah. like, and for people, for people who are able to afford to go to, you know, gyms that, and go to them as frequently as he does to be able to keep in shape like this. Because even when you're on steroids, I was doing some research on steroids, even when you're on steroids, to, to really get the effect, you have to be working out, too. Oh, yeah. So It's not a magic pill where you just take it and get buff. And we see him purchase his steroids, and it's like $1,000. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, and, you know, he's paying 60 bucks for this lap dance. He's paying for drinks at this place, all while he, has, while he owes money to his landlord. Right, and then we're going to see him do the steroids, and then him going to get his hair done and get it professionally dyed, and him doing tanning at the tanning bed, like... All of the things he does, the reason he lives in a trailer, he's probably making okay money doing the wrestling, but it's that Maybe. it costs so much to keep up all of this. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's and that's the thing. I feel like this movie really kind of brilliantly structured this so that we can see him, we can make a judgment call on him. It's, it's you know, the movie's kind of constantly forcing the audience to put these characters in boxes or to try to at least. Mm -hmm. And you know, even when you started this movie, you said you expected him to be a dirtbag. And he's not a dirtbag. He is a genuine, even real, though, nice guy who means, you know, well, but does fuck up because we all do. Right. And even though there are, there are cues that the movie keeps giving about him where it's like, he's a dirtbag, right? He's a dirtbag. Look at all the drugs he's buying right now. Look at all these steroids. He's cheating to get these muscles, right? He's a dirtbag. Look, he's got a poster of boobs behind his towel in his bathroom and he goes to a strip club all the time exactly. and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But he's not. He's not a dirtbag. We've got this series of scenes starting with this one right here in which he's buying, um, you know, workout supplements and drugs, illegal drugs, uh, from a guy who's also offering him things like, you know, Coke. Um, and he's going to go and get hair treatment. He's going to get tanned. He's going to go to the store and buy props. All of these things cost money. And the rest of that money that we see, the first thing we see him spend money on is a stripper, a lap dance and drinks, things that he doesn't need. But that is so negligible. Mm -hmm. Compared to what he's spending on what is ultimately his art. He is spending the, the brunt of his money right. on his art. He is the picture. And like I said before, we were going to get into this. He is the picture of a starving artist. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So he spends all of this money on his art, which can you really blame him? Of course, you can criticize him for taking drugs and all this kind of stuff. But can you really criticize him for spending this money on his passion? But on can, what he, you, can you really criticize him for taking drugs and stuff? I, I, I guess not. I mean, I mean can, you really, okay. can you really criticize Barry Bonds for taking steroids when like literally everyone in the MLB was taking steroids? But I'm not even talking about it from that perspective. I'm talking about it from the perspective of um, 
Okay, so so take any famous artist who you know famously, whether where whether we're talking paintings or we're talking writers or whatever, any famous artist who you know famously did a lot of drugs and that was their inspiration for their art. Do we criticize them for that? Uh, no, we don't. We and don't so, typically. So should we criticize this guy for doing exactly that? And then once you're forced to look back at what negligible amount of money he spent on having you know a, just a good time one night. Can you really criticize him for that either? It's just like, well, he's spending all this money on his art, so he spends a little bit more so he can enjoy himself. Does he deserve that much? Of course he does. And I think it's kind of brilliant that the movie forces us to try to put these characters into boxes and then immediately challenges oh, yeah. challenges our perception that we've decided, you know, who these people are and right. what they're doing. And exactly in in terms of, you know, him. I think for her character, it's a little bit more on the nose than I expected it. You know, the stripper who's actually a mom who's just trying to get her kids it's, like well the, it's an arch the stripper is actually with, a, I've heard a it, single mom. Right. The stripper with a heart of gold. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's a little bit, you know, done I think and so it's pretty easy to guess that character but with him this wasn't a character that I guessed this wasn't a character that I came in here and you know the wrestler with a heart of gold right right, right. the the spent wrestler with a heart of gold I want to jump back to the to the lap dance scene because there's some stuff in there I want to talk about he, he starts going through the scars on his body you know she says something and I'm glad that this movie does address it and they just do it for a moment she says something about oh wrestling being fake and like oh they say it's fake and he's like you fake I'll show you I'll show you fake and he starts pointing out his scars you mm -hmm. know yeah. so we start the movie and we see that he's voluntarily surrounding himself by pieces of his own history right kind of creating this prison for himself uh, that is the past it's a prison of nostalgia almost mm -hmm. uh, which I do think this movie has something to say about nostalgia um, but he's not just surrounding himself with his own history he wears it on the scars on his body he can't escape it it's a part of his it's it's actually a part of his body and that's something that he has to carry with him so even if he got rid of all of the stuff if he got rid of you know the the pictures on on the, the wall of the van and the action figure and he stopped wrestling and he got rid of the dodge ram truck which is <laughs> Right. He's the guy's name is Randy the Ram Robinson and he drives a Dodge Ram. Right, I mean, yeah, of course. That was obviously by choice. Um but that he he's not going to be able to get rid of all of it because he actually carries scars on his body. So so this is getting a little less uh serious and and a little more silly here but just talking about real injuries in wrestling because we've and this is certainly a time to talk about it uh during this hardcore match that he's about to do. Um real injuries in res wrestling like I watched just a compilation video and it's awful. Um, the shit that has happened to people, you know, fracturing vertebrae in your spine and all that oh, kind of yeah. stuff. But people some, died, some of the famous ones, like Steve Austin breaking his neck was one that yep. I watched. And then the one that really was terrible was Sid Vicious when he broke his leg. Have you seen that video? I have not seen oh that. Oh my God. If you want to be really uncomfortable for like 20 seconds, then just watch him because he jumps from from the thing and he jumps down um, and his his leg just, it just bends 90 degrees. And yeah. and I'm talking about like between like his tibia, fibula, like that. 
that area and it just wobbles it just flails in the air it's so awful that's terrible i think so. I, I saw a basketball player that that happened to a couple of years ago and that was uh equally terrible yeah um, so so right it's fake but you know right they're really getting hurt too and then this one, um, I wanted to talk about about this stuff. These kind of matches where this hardcore kind of stuff. Um, I mean, this shit is insane, right? Oh, yeah, the hardcore and matches. And it's for real, too. Like, I, I assumed it was for real, but I had to go on the internet and make sure. And, of course, it is for real, where people are doing things like stapling each other and bashing each other with glass windows and... I love how this scene well, you want, is You want cut. to talk about people... Oh, I do too. You want to talk about people getting hurt, you know, talk about like Owen Hart who died in the ring after falling, you know, from the ceiling, you know, making an entrance. It was pretty terrible. Um, but yeah, I do, I do really like how this scene is cut. Uh, we're kind of getting uh, a cutting back and forth between the match itself and then the aftermath of the match where they're they're getting patched up. So we see them getting patched up for something that happened in the ring and then we immediately flash back to what that thing what was. What that in was the ring. that happened in the ring. Right. Yeah, we're seeing like right here we're seeing him take the $5 bill off of his face which was stapled there and then we see him staple. It's just a nice a nice way to go back and forth doing this. This guy's got a lot of teeth missing, doesn't he? Is, yeah. Isn't... Oh yeah, almost definitely. This is a necro butcher. He's a combat zone wrestler combat zone wrestling wrestler oh um, we're talking a real wrestler real, yeah here. real dude yeah this this actually so uh, are they really doing this stuff in this in this scene then are they doing some of the stapling uh, and stuff some, for real some of it i'm sure they are yeah uh but yeah this this match was actually on february 9th 2008 and it was part of combat zone wrestling's regular february event uh, and it took place at the new alhambra uh, arena for for this movie uh where they shot it uh, and it actually included a lot of Combat Zone alumni, along with uh, the guy that he's wrestling right here, Necro Butcher. And the crowd actually calls him Necro. They call him by his by his actual wrestling name. So I do love how Necro uh, keeps referring to Ram as Sir. He's very, very polite when yeah. they're talking. You know, yeah. they're talking before the match, and you know, when he thanks him after the match, he's very, very cordial, very polite, and is sure to say Sir. Um, this moment right here where a guy in the crowd uh, gives Ram his prosthetic leg to use. Right, to beat, to beat Negro with. Is yeah. based on an actual event from an uh, ECW show where, where that happened. Uh, he gave it to a wrestler by the name of Tommy Dreamer in that match. Isn't that, uh, don't they do something like that in Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, do they? With a with a prosthetic leg, right? Oh, Rocket Raccoon has has, to, has tells him to go get it, yeah, and it tells it's, him to and go. it's unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, because he's a dick. But yeah, the, the thing that I the thing that I really love about this scene, you know, as as both of us are lovers of of uh, good body horror, um, this is body horror. Oh yeah, and I love absolutely. It. Um, but what he's doing in this hardcore match against against Butcher, you know, with, what with the you know, the barbed wire and the glass and the staple gun and just all the blood and terrible shit that he's putting his body through. Um, it's really a microcosm, I think, for the long-term damage he's endured through throughout his entire career. 
Um, it's kind of like his career is the long play body horror, right? Oh like, yeah. Like like Jeff Goldblum turning into the fly over the course of twenty years or something right. like that, as opposed to. A I work. love the way this guy looks too. This necro guy. I mean, he just looks like someone who does this shit all the time. Oh yeah, for fun. Right. <laughs> not even for money. He's just like this is this is fun to me. And like, speaking he's, of he's that, he's not in shape. He's just, right. Yeah. He's like a dude. He's just a dude, but he's actually a, a wrestler. Apparently. Well, and he said something about that at the beginning too. He's like, I know. I don't look like much, but I can take it or something like that. Yeah. Um, but speaking of that on a, on a different level, I feel like, I mean, I'm sure we're going to touch on it to some degree, but there is a community of people out there in, in the gay community where it's like a subgroup of this, where it's specifically like BDSM gay guys who they're, the whole thing is getting together and, and wrestling each other for sexual pleasure and also beating each other up, you know, for sexual pleasure. Well, there, I mean, I I don't, I think that you're definitely onto something there. If, you know, uh, I I think that wrestling, pro wrestling is uh, inherently homoerotic. Mm -hmm. Um, You're talking about big, beefy, sweaty dudes at the peak of, you know, human uh, athletic perfection, you know, mm-hmm. at the height of uh, human performance, uh, grabbing onto each other and writhing around and sweating. Skin and, tight outfits. I mean, and, and in some cases, really swapping bodily fluids and, and swapping the getting those balls up in each other's faces <laughs> and stuff when they do the leg scissor things. There is. Yeah, there is something kind of latently homoerotic about pro wrestling on the same level that someone might say that there's something uh, there's a sexual element to uh, to dancing. Right. To dancing with a partner. And, you know, Mm -hmm. depending on the dance style, you can you can see more of that, you know, with uh, salsa or tango or lumbata or (laughs) some shit, something that's especially sexual, you know, that that really uh, kind of. becomes apparent, but, you know, dancing is two bodies, you know, dancing with a partner is two bodies, at least two bodies moving together in close proximity, rhythmically, right? What does that sound like? Often in very tight clothing. Yes. Or revealing again, clothing. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. I where mean, there's it, a lot of skin contact. Oh, of course, there's the there. And you, you can dig even deeper, dig even uh, into a more primal place and talk about like mating dances and things like that and take it to a more animalistic place. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that when you think about it in those terms, you can't you can't avoid the comparison of uh, any kind of sport that you know has two people in really close contact right um that there is some sexuality to it absolutely yeah. so yes with with pro wrestling i think that there is some some latent homoeroticism there right and then when you what i'm saying then is when you when you get into this hardcore stuff where the goal is to cause pain right like that these guys like you you made the comment you know i think this guy actually likes it or he might actually like it right doing the stapling on himself and all that kind of stuff right right because obviously that is a, a surprisingly if you don't realize it pretty large community in the world sure. of people who who do enjoy, you know, doing I don't, that kind I don't of mean, stuff. I didn't mean latent homoeroticism. I meant inherent. Yeah, that's what that's what I meant. That's the word I wanted. Um, and so, and so, what I'm saying then is that I just don't think that the line is that is that uh, 
I think it could be pretty easy to cross over those two things or perhaps to not know, you know, which reason the person is actually in it for. Right. Right. Like it's just it's just interesting to me because it's such a masculine like like on the surface, it comes across as this completely like I'm a tough guy. I can staple my face. Well, speaking of the punishment, speaking of the bodily punishment, there there is a parallel drawn by the Cassidy character in the lap dance scene between uh, Randy and Christ, as in Jesus Christ. Do you think that that holds water? I, I have a theory about it. Mm, well, and there are a couple other references just throwing them out there in the movie, like Judas the traitor is one of the names of the people that he wrestles oh, yeah, or yeah. that's wrestling at the same time as yeah. him. Um I I don't know. I guess so. What's your theory? You go ahead. Uh, well, her quote, she quotes the Bible. She uh, she says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us to peace was upon him, and by his wounds we were healed. Um, and that parallel that she makes between Ram and Christ, I think, is unearned, but the incongruity is intentional. I think that she says that because she's... You know, the writing there, it's forcing the audience to draw the comparison to see the contrast and to not say, oh, yeah, he is like Christ. But to say, let me think about that. Wait, no, he's not like Christ. Christ's sacrifice was selfless. Ram and his motivations are entirely self-serving. Right. And we see that fleshed out throughout the movie to see kind of the lives that have been thrown you know, to the wayside, specifically his daughters, this shot right here of the taxi in the van uh, was our hint, and no one got it. Oh, wow. So, um, of, of course, David Dassau, who who uh, requested the film, recognized it and sent me a message, but yes, n- no, no one uh, else recognized it. Um, what I was going to say is uh, she makes a comment, though, about it being the passion of the Christ, from the movie. From the movie. And I'm pretty sure it's, I I think it must be like a song that was on the credits or something like that, maybe. I don't know. There's definitely a music video out there of The Passion of the Christ. Say what? With, um, <laughs> what, what? with a band Third Day and a song called By His Wounds. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I don't know if it's a fan-made video or what, but I, I didn't do that much research into it. But it looked uh, pretty legit, so uh, maybe... I don't know. Oh, Jesus. Literally. Well, literally. Liter- but the, but the things she says like are they're the lyrics from the, the song, too. So, so um, Ram has had a heart attack at this point. He's back home. Um, I just... I, I, I love the image of him wearing that hearing aid. That hearing aid is something that's always stuck with me about this movie. It's like this guy that looks like this with the the bleach blonde and long the hair. And he's ripped and he but he walks you know, he wears like hoodies and jackets and jeans with glasses and a hearing aid because he's just so jacked up. Well, it the thing though to me is that we don't really see this like this until after the bypass surgery. So he has the right. bypass surgery and it's the first time we hear his real name, uh the Robin Ramzinski. Right. And and you're like and he even, you know, rejects it and he's like, "Oh no, don't call me that," right? Right. Watch um, this watch this zoom that happens here on his chest scar. 
that is that's documentary as fuck. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Um, but but he's like, you know, don't call me that, don't call me that, and and I think he tries to get him to call him Randy. Maybe is that the name that he tries to get people to call him? When well, yeah, that's his. Yeah, that's he's his, not being called the Ram. That's his wrestling name. But he wants people to call him that all the time. He not only does he have a wrestling name, which is the Ram, uh, but he also has a pseudonym, which is Randy Robinson. When his real name is Robin Ramzinski. And and so, so it goes like two I layers. I wish I knew deep. what book this was. I can't tell. I tried and I can't tell. But the font on the front looks like a romance it novel does font. Kind of look, it's an NES. Um but what I was gonna say though is I that I do want to talk about the game they play here in a minute. And we will. Um, is that the it's like in that moment when he first gets called his real name in the movie and he wakes up from this bypass surgery. It's like reality. Yeah. Reality is trying to encroach on on his world that he's living in. And we see it in all these different representations where we see it in him having the hearing aid in. We see him filling out paperwork with his glasses on. Um, we see him in very normal clothing. And then we see him go back inside the trailer where he lives for the first time. Yep. So. Yep. Um, I'll tell you what's real is Mickey Rourke's ass. I feel like we almost get equal Mickey Rourke's ass and Marissa Tomei and Marissa Tomei's tits in this movie, which is totally fine with not equality. Just right. That's fine with me. Yeah. Okay. Just just so we're square on that. Just want to make sure that we're square on that. Um, yeah. The the video game that they're playing right now, uh, Randy has invited a a local youngster over to play uh, NES, um, which they play the the fictional game Wrestle Jam. Um, and it's it was actually created especially for this film because it has the, his character, uh, Randy the Ram Robinson, and his arch nemesis, the Ayatollah, which we haven't talked about the Ayatollah. We will talk about him, but um, he is, uh, has committed to uh, having a rematch with the Ayatollah because apparently it was a great big event years ago and there's never been a proper rematch. So isn't the Ayatollah isn't doesn't it, am I wrong for assuming that he's modeled after the Iron Sheik? Is that no, what that's, that's supposed to be? That's correct. Of course, the Ayatollah being being a very high uh, ranked uh, individual in the Muslim faith, um, but the. Uh, Yes, very as much as Randy himself is modeled after kind of an amalgamation of a couple of different people. Prob- I'm sorry, in just a second here, I love this moment where he just barely jogs and then he has to go down on a knee. Yeah, and sucks. sit down all the way. It sucks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he in as much as Randy is kind of an amalgamation of like Hulk Hogan. And maybe uh, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Um, his finish, his special move, Ram Jam, is a lot like uh, Macho Man's finishing move, which is like the flying elbow or something like that mm-hmm. or something. Um, so, yeah, in as much as uh, he is an amalgamation of those, I think that the Ayatollah is definitely supposed to mirror um, the Iron Sheik. Uh, and of course, uh, the rivalry that Hulk Hogan had with the Iron Sheik throughout the 80s and into the early 90s is what kind of made him the face of wrestling for a good long while. Hmm. Um, that certainly helped. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think that they're they're definitely drawing that comparison, certainly. I'm wondering how he's paying for his hospital bills and the medicine for his hospital visit. Um... Who knows? Did we? Did I finish talking about Wrestle Jam? I didn't. So they play the fictional game Wrestle Jam, uh, which features you know his characters. Looks 
perfect. It looks great. It looks like an NES game. It, it, it actually features really similar graphics to the uh, uh, WWF WrestleMania game for NES uh, that came out in 1989. Um, but yeah, that scene, I, every scene kind of drives this point home. And again, like it, it almost gets to the point of being too on the nose, but every scene drives home, home the point, you're too old for this. Get mm-hmm. out of the game, old man. You're irrelevant, right? And in that scene, he's talking to this kid uh, who he's invited over to play this game. And there's no way around feeling like his successes are all in the past. Kids today, the kid he invites over, has better video games. He's talking right. about Call of Duty yeah. 4 or some shit while he's playing this video game and talking about how old the game that Randy's in is. Um And that's probably the only game that Randy owns, probably the only game that he was ever in. He's got one action figure that was made out of him. All of these things are long in the past and people have moved on. Um, So, yeah, Uh, now he's feeling like uh, I guess this is the scene where he mentions his daughter, Stephanie, Mm -hmm. um, because he's he's told Cassidy that he's had a heart attack. He's trying to tell everyone he has a heart attack and. You know, I, I I guess it's because I guess that's just a thing that you do. What what is that? What is that uh, instinct when something bad happens to you? You have to tell people. Is it to get sympathy or is it because hey, well, just think, in case something happens to me, this is what's happening to me now, so you know. But I think in his case, it's that he doesn't have anybody, and he's just searching for some. I mean, he says it himself that in this scene, he says, "I don't want to be alone." Exactly. He doesn't have anybody, and he's just he's just searching for somebody that he can say, "Look, it's serious now. Like it's well, serious in my life that I'm alone now." The, well, the nature of Randy and Cassidy's relationship still feels very one sided at the point at this point in the movie. Oh yeah. You know, the first scene that we see of Cassidy, they obviously know each other very well, and you question to the extent that their relationship has gone at this point. But in this second scene that they share, well, I, I mean, I love the moment where they're having the conversation while she's, you know, giving him a lap dance and stuff. Right, like how old hat that is to him. Yeah. Right? Um, but at the end of that conversation, he still pays for that lap dance. At no point in this movie right. does she offer him free services ever. Yeah. Right. Um, and with the second scene that they share, it's certain that he's a regular, but he's still a customer. In right. her words, I can't leave with a customer. And he doesn't see her outside the strip club, which really speaks volumes about the real nature of their relationship at this point. Right. Right. But I think that's also that just like he's in denial, she's in denial. I love all the... the the phone numbers crossed out on the on back, the back of, of it, the picture of his daughter that's like from middle school or yeah, something. Yeah, years and years ago. Um, but anyways, though, just like he is in denial of the fact that he is too old to be in this profession, um, she's in denial of it, too. And I don't necessarily think it's quite the same thing. This is just my my personal uh, opinion about this. But I feel like wrestling is it's a sport. And in being a sport, it, you know, has a physical strain on the human body, which if, at a yes. certain age becomes hey, dangerous. If cheerleading's a sport, pro wrestling's a sport. Right. But what I'm saying is that at a certain age, it becomes dangerous to wrestle. Obviously, he's showing that obviously it's become dangerous for him to do these things. Right. Stripping doesn't become dangerous for you to do as you get older. No, but the parallel that they're drawing, and I think is a valid no, I, one. No, I get it's a valid parallel, but, but I don't necessarily... Um, we're supposed to immediately make the 
and and there I'm on both sides of this because I understand that in the general public's eye, right, they're not going to make any money doing what they're doing anymore. It is not a legitimate profession for them to be in after a certain age. However, I think that's the idea of a woman not being sexually attractive anymore once she hits a certain age is a problem with society. That's a problem that we that we have as a society Absolutely. right now. Absolutely. Whereas not being able to wrestle when you hit a certain age is not a problem with the society. That's a that's a thing about the human body. Right. Well, exactly. But I think that this film uh, right and rightly so works within those social constructs that are already created and doesn't attempt to challenge them. It's working within those boundaries. I'm just saying that they're both supposed to be in denial. Sure. about the fact that they're too old to do what they're doing. But there's a part of me that says he's in denial and that's a problem. But there's the part of me that says she's in denial about what she's doing. I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, but that's shitty. If she wants to still strip when she's fucking 40 or 50 or 60 or I mean, however Marissa, old, then fucking do it, babe. Marissa Tomei was 44 when she made this. And she's hotter than I'll ever be. She, so. she has the body. And have of, ever been. I said last night when we were watching this and taking notes, I was like, she has the body of a 20 year old. And you were like, no, she has the body of a good looking 20 year old. Right. A like, good not, looking, no body fat, perfectly in shape. Boobs are looking pretty fantastic. Like incredible. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, so no, yeah, I, I think that it's not incredible entirely like it's not an and she's in- had babies right so what, it's what what is this imaginary world that we live in where you get know. how to, is i mean are there steroids for just being hot is it plastic <laughs> surgery like but what plastic surgery i mean yeah, because because it's she's, called money you just yeah, inject money so. directly into your body um yeah, I mean, I, I, it isn't exactly a one-to-one because you can look at the the toll that his this life has taken on him physically, and it v- may very well, and that's kind of the ambiguous ending of this movie, it may very well have taken his life by the time this movie's over. Right, and I think it does. I think it does, too. Um, intentionally left up to the audience, but... Uh, yeah, I think I, I think you're kind of right that there isn't exactly a one-to-one parallel because she does have the option to get out. Well, or she, she has the option to stay in. He doesn't really have that option. Like if he stays in, he's gonna die, which I think he does. And also, I'm and I still think this is legit. I think that that again that an older woman stripping is not outside the realm of possibility of of specific things that certain men ask for and want. Right. You know, I don't I don't think that it's I mean, she is a very good-looking woman. But so, who wants old wrestlers? Right. And only because of the fact that he is not able to physically do the things that he could do before because it's dangerous for him. But for her, she's going to be able to continue stripping. Like that's not gonna as as long as her body's still in the shape that it's in, like, I mean, whatever. Anyways, I'm I'm just saying there are a lot of old people pornos out there. So <laughs> well, they do exist. That's that's for sure. Um, we missed the first shot of uh, the first scene with Stephanie, his daughter, played by Evan Rachel Wood, um, who was cast last minute. Apparently, she was kind of a, a replacement. Um, but yeah, she doesn't want anything to do with him because he's, he never took care of her. He was too busy with his career and probably, um, did the same, you know, kind of ignored her just like, you know, he ignored her mother most likely. I love that they don't resolve their storyline in this movie. No, 
No, he f- the, the resolution is he fucks up. And, and he, you think and he he's going to resolve it. And he doesn't deserve her. And the movie's right to, to do that. Um, th- not all stories have happy endings, and this one certainly doesn't. But it plays it kind of like a happy ending. But we'll talk about it when we get there. It's very, it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah, so I, I, I've been to enough conventions and various meet and greets through the years to see really sad scenes like the one we just saw with has-beens who are sitting there selling oh their, yeah i mean they don't even have dvds they've got vhs tapes in 2008 of i guess highlights or something of their career mm-hmm. not that i don't appreciate a good vhs uh, but i think it's interesting ram looks around that room in the community center and sees the products of all of the choices of his contemporaries mm-hmm. much like the choices that he's made um the one that really stands out is the cane there's a cane leaning against you know, one of the tables. For me, the one that stands out is the guy who's asleep on the table yeah. next to him. And it seems like the older version of where he's going to be in the future. But the thing is here is that is that he starts in this scene right here, things start to get better, right? right. And you start as the viewer to see where his life could actually go. And you start saying to yourself, oh God, yeah. If he can he, get it together. Yeah. If he just had a job, if he just works at that deli and just works 40, 50 hours a week at that stupid deli, you know, in a couple of years, they're going to promote him. He's going to make a little more money. At some point, they could be renting a house instead of renting a trailer. Right. Like, and, and, and you start to see him having a life where, you know, he's able to to pay his bills he's off the drugs he's not wrestling anymore but you know he's got a girl he likes he's got a relationship with his daughter and of course the end of this movie is that that's not what he wants right no well that, and well he squanders it and it's just too easy for him to go back to, to the thing that makes him feel good and makes him yes. feel good now it may be fleeting it may be instant gratification but that's what that's how he's lived his life he's lived his life on those little moments and he will die by those little moments right and as we as the audience we want to see him we want to see him struggle up into we this. We want to see him be this, better than that. Right. We want to see him be okay with living out a life where you work at the grocery deli where your boss treats you like shit and stuff. Because he makes a good job out of it. Like He, his, he his, ends up being good at it. Right. And, and there's this part of us that's like, oh no, you can do that. But let's be real. Let's think about that life. Because I've worked at a fucking deli just like the one that he works at. Exactly like the one that he worked at. Um, and and I worked there. I worked my ass off there during the summers in college. And, and it's fucking horrible, right? And I remember going to work every day. And I'd worked like 40, 50 hours a week. And, and I just remember sitting in that break room and looking at the people around me and thinking fuck 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 i have to graduate college like <laughs> like i just i i know where this life leads and i know how easy it is to just get sucked into doing something like this the paycheck comes in every week you know there's always work yeah. and and your raise goes up and it goes up and it goes up a little and a little and a little and you see that being a life and i just so it so it's like do i do i uh, want this, that for him sorry this scene right here where his manager is watching porn on his office computer. So weird. It is such so a weird. weird moment, but color- and doesn't react that big about it. No, he doesn't. And then like when he makes him go back outside to knock again and he just comes storming out, it's, 
I mean, it colors this character in such an interesting, weird way. But like, mm-hmm. I feel, I feel like it, it makes him really memorable. He's almost, he's almost like a Coen Brothers character. Mm-hmm. He kind of gives off that vibe. Anyway, um, but yeah, he's constantly ridiculing Randy for being a wrestler. I, you know. But what what I was saying though is that we're wishing on him a life of let's be real poverty. It's still poverty, right. um, and a life where you know his highlights are going to visit his daughter occasionally, maybe having dinner with his girlfriend on the couch with a beer and watching TV or something like that. That's sure. Those simple. are the happy it's times. It's a of simple his life. life, but yeah. And and we're we're wishing that he would just suck it up and do that when he has a life that that he has fans that people cheer for him. Mm-hmm. That it's exciting and and invigorating and makes him feel like a hero, like a superhero. And and so, you know, it's really selfish of us as the viewers to want that for him. Right? Yeah. And let him slowly die in his poverty and well, in his medical bills. But and- right, exactly. But it's it's our version of success for him. Right. It's the audience's version of success for him. And the more that you want it for him... Um, I mean, the the harder it is to take that he doesn't end up making that choice, that it all it takes is one bad choice that leads to him losing all of this that he's built up in what is ultimately a, a pretty short amount of time uh, for him to just go back and, and kind of kill himself. I mean, in a way, kill himself, but he, oh, dies, yeah. he dies doing what he loves. And that, again, is that, a, is that a sad ending? It is, but is it? Right. So, I mean, and again, we'll talk about that when we get there. So he, he goes out and he meets Pam at a vintage shop uh, so he can buy something for his daughter uh, at her request or at, at her suggestion, rather. Uh, and they go out and the first thing he says to her is, you look clean. Yep. Yikes. Not, not a way to start what kind of turns into a date. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a date in his mind, right? Um, um, but Ka- we find out that Cassidy's real name is Pam, and she prefers this when she's not working. Of course, we find out that Randy's real name is Robin, which he never prefers, and that's a really key difference in how they carry their professional identities. Pam works as a stripper. Randy is a wrestler. Right, absolutely. And Those the, name cues are big in this movie. And the delineation is key. It's about how these people carry their identities with them. And it makes perfect sense that when she wants, she doesn't want to be a stripper forever. And she wants to get out of it and she wants to have a better life for her son and she wants to move to a better area. And Randy doesn't know how to do any of that. He just knows how to struggle and still be a wrestler because that's all he knows. He is a wrestler. She just works as a stripper. But again, we see him seeing goals in his life and and looking like he's going to strive toward them. Sure. That, because let's be real. He loves his daughter. He, he loves her deeply, and I think he does try to forget about her, and I think he actually successfully is able to forget about her, and that's why he's able to continue living selfishly like he does. Um, and But once he, he remembers her, once he has has the understanding that you know she is something he could have back in his life, right. that is a huge motivation, as well as Pam, to, to try and live a more normal life working at the deli. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, exactly. And but I feel like he's forced into that. The heart attack makes him. It, it forces him into that. I don't. Yeah. Th- I don't, of course. I don't think he'd ever consider that without the doctor saying you're gonna die. Like it has to be his mortality that's on the line. Right. Before he actually makes a move. 
Um, and I think that that's key. And this is a, this is something that I, I came up with that I thought would have been really interesting. Um, he doesn't really have a problem tracking down his daughter at all. He has that picture of her from like middle school with all mm-hmm. those numbers written on it. I thought it would have been a nice, neat little touch, you know, going on the theme of uh, identities and names and pseudonyms. If Ram had had a harder time tracking down Stephanie because she changed her name to mm, avoid yeah him. to avoid being to avoid having his name to avo- perhaps even right to avoid having his name that could be a reason to avoid having uh, him track her down you know any of those reasons um, think how perfectly that would have played into Randy and Pam's name changes on a you know that subtextual level of identity going back to his daughter two things I wanted to mention one uh, the girl that she lives with and I don't know if we are supposed to believe that that she's a lesbian or not um, I I assumed that that since I feel like we got a, enough clues and him yeah, sure. suggesting it sure that that's is. what we're supposed to assume um, but so her partner uh, is wearing a wild horse saloon shirt when she opens the door the first time right mm-hmm. uh, which is which Nashville is represent. Uh, a haunt for us my father actually he's a DJ and he actually used to broadcast from inside the wild horse saloon for many years actually so I spent Many evenings in childhood down there. Um, so they just got done singing along to the song Round and Round by Rat with two T's. Um, and I don't know if this was intentional, but they stopped singing right before the line, Our Love Will Find a Way, Just Give It Time. Oh, probably. <laughs> that seems intentional for this movie. Um, another thing, his daughter, his daughter says... Um, you want me to take care of you. Yes, well, I'm not going to do that. Where the fuck were you when I needed you to take care of me? Do you think it's still selfish? Do you think she's right and that he actually does want her to take care of him? I mean, it's still selfish either way because he wants her in his life. I don't No, because that's not why he reaches out to her. But is it, though, is what I'm saying? I don't think so. He reaches out to her because Pam suggests it. I mean, that's that's what ends up happening is he tells Pam and Pam, in a way, kind of diverts that responsibility of being like, because she knows Pam realizes she has to that she is the only person that he has. Yeah. And that's what forces her to say, don't you have family? And then he's like, well, I have a daughter that doesn't like me very much. And Pam is like, well, you've had a heart attack. Now's the time to reach out to her. Yeah. And he, and it, you know, convinces him to reach out to her. I feel like he's getting in touch with Stephanie that for the same reason that he told Pam he has a heart attack is because mm-hmm. he doesn't have anybody else. So when Pam suggested, he's like, okay, all right, throw caution to the wind. And that's what he does. So I, th- I think that he's really... I feel like it really is altruistic. Like he's he's trying to patch back together and put back put the pieces back together of, you know, lives that he's ruined or parts of his life that he didn't get right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it doesn't feel that selfish. I feel like the most selfish thing about Randy as a character is his uh, predilection to 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 steer back toward wrestling to steer back toward that self-destructive life mm-hmm. you know i love this right here oh it's amazing we're walking through the back of the grocery store where they, you hear the cheering and stuff from the ring as though he is walking down to a match and then you know he goes through the curtains um and the sound cuts off immediately it's like it, it, it 
it makes you feel like he's this this moment for him because he's not he doesn't like to work with people. Um, the thing that he's scared of most is being recognized. Mm-hmm. So that's why he likes to work in the back of the store. So, um, and why? Why does he not like being recognized? Because he to keep d- up the illusion that this character is still alive, right? And still out there. That he's not a failure. That he is just a wrestler and nothing else. And that people can assume that you know that guy just wrestled till he died. That's right. all he did. He never took a job at a, you know, as a car salesman like his his rival exactly. does. So, you know, when he asked for more hours, he has to weigh the the options. He has to weigh his options between, okay, I can either face my public, so to speak, um, or I can continue working this shit job where I don't make enough money. And he wants to try to set things right, so he's willing to take that chance and make that sacrifice. And he goes out and he starts working and kind of gets used to it, ends up being pretty good at it. Um, and I think that gets a little overzealous, but, um, sure. well, he's, he's a pro wrestler, <laughs> but you know, it's a, it's, it's kind of a cool scene where, where he's the way he's talking to the customers and he's playing the crowd. He Again, plays the crowd right. at the deli. Exactly. Like he, he is facing his public that the, the, the sound of the crowd as, you know, building up as he's moving through the back of the store, like he's about to go out into a wrestling match. He's, a, he's building up those same kind of nerves. He's like, I'm about to, I'm about to walk out into a room of people who know who I am. Mm-hmm. And when he does, the crowd stops. Because these people don't know who he is. That's his fear subsiding at that point or starting to subside. And then he starts to work. He ends up being good at it. And then after this, after he starts, after he's been doing this for a while, by the way, all of this, or a lot of this, I think, was uh, improvised um, when they were shooting this inside a real grocery store at a real deli counter. Yeah, it looks like all of that. uh, The real customers kept walking up to the counter during filming and Mickey Rourke's started taking their orders and the camera would just keep rolling and yeah this um, is this, this is one sequence that was a uh, heavily improvised like the locker room scenes this scene is he is he is not using proper slicer technique there <laughs> Oh, okay. No, 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 no. You're saying, oh, okay, but I'm talking about the big handle thing that's dangling down is what you put on top of the meat so that you don't slice your fingers off while you're doing it, and he's just slicing while holding the meat or the cheese, right? right. It's like, I'm not talking about, like, you know, you've got to get the right angle on the slice. I'm talking about whether or not you chop off your fingers. And and it's really scary every time he, I watch him doing it because I'm just like, oh, my God, no, what are you doing? Oh, my God, you're going to slice off your fingers. And, of course, eventually he, you know, he does get hurt. So I knew a guy that worked at a juice bar or something, and he was juicing wheatgrass, and he accidentally stuffed his finger down past the blade as oh. it was on. And it's like this big, heavy, stainless steel machine. And it caught, like, it cut into his finger and caught, and he tried to pull his finger out of it, uh-huh. and it picked up the heavy machine. It was caught so bad. Oh, my God. It was it was pretty rough. But, yeah, I, I mean, everything about that deli, this was, like, nostalgia city going back and watching this because I haven't, I mean, it's been... Oh God! Like almost ten years since I worked in in the deli, they definitely serve boar's head there. I could tell by the by the condiments on the counter. Boar's head's very good. Boar's head is the superior deli meat. <laughs> is it? Um, 
and do, do you do you think it's the superior? So it's the superior one at like Publix or something. But is it superior at like Whole Foods? Do you think there's a better one at Whole a Foods? A better one than Boar's Head? I don't. I have never tried a deli meat that's better than Boar's Head. I'm sure some someone will comment. I I would be shocked to find a better anyway. deli meat or cheese. But than yeah, Boar's so Head. we we see him in what's kind of a little montage of him getting better and better at the deli job, and like you said, being a little overzealous. But again. He's a pro wrestler. That's kind of his job. Mm. Um, all it takes is for him to feel like he's good at one other thing in his life. In this case, the deli. Mm-hmm. And that makes him feel okay leaving wrestling behind. The very next scene is him calling his promoter and saying, yep. I'm not doing the Ayatollah match. I'm done. I'm retired. That's and it. That, and that's part of what it makes this movie hard. Because we say... I've said that it's selfish of us as the viewers to want him to do it to like have a different life and to lead the life where he still lives in poverty in reality, um, still can probably not pay his bills working at a fucking deli, um, but but lives a life that we say is normal and that we say is is gonna make him happier. Um, that's why this is difficult because all of this right here makes you feel like maybe you're not selfish. Like maybe it really is what he wants to, to be with his daughter and have her love him and, um, and to work a job and stuff that is not so hard on his body. Right. Yep. Um, I do think that the casting in this movie, especially the roles of Randy and Cassidy or Randy and Pam, um, is pretty perfect. I feel like that there are intent, like as, as I understand it, Darren Aronofsky uh, always intended for um, Mickey Rourke to play this part. Mm. Uh, he didn't know if he was going to be able to play the part because Mickey Rourke has kind of a history with substance abuse and oh yeah, and being, I didn't know that and being difficult to work with and kind of you know uh, not not being the easiest person to 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 deal with professionally. Mm. Um, so there was a time when uh, Nicolas Cage was researching the role. He was going to huh. probably be in it. So uh, it could be either fantastic or horrible, right? Were, well, <laughs> that's true. That's the, that is such as the nature of Nicolas Cage. Uh, it, it, I think uh, Sylvester Stallone was even uh, considered. I can at totally one point. see that. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like Sylvester Stallone though would. Uh, it wouldn't be as quite as good as quite as perfect as Mickey Rourke is in this role, because I feel like Mickey Rourke's career more or less parallels that of Randy's career where, you know, he was this, you know, hot item back in the, you know, late eighties and early nineties. Uh, and you know, his, his own self-destructive behaviors kind of kept him away from projects and kept him away from staying in the spotlight, staying in the limelight for all those years. Uh, and it was be kind of because of this movie, which is, I, is it ironic? Is that is that what that is? It, because of this movie about a guy who's irrelevant, it made Mickey Rourke relevant again. Right. He was nominated for an Oscar for this performance. And well deserved, because this, I mean, this, especially this scene the, right here. I mean, this scene right here where he's crying to his daughter, talking about how he, you know, he fucked up. He's saying he was the one who was supposed to take care of her and their family. And he's the one that was being selfish. And I mean, this is the Oscar clip right here. And it's not that Sean Penn was not good in Milk, but I, I think Mickey, Rourke, I still feel like Mickey Rourke was robbed at the Oscars this year. Um, but yeah, he's an incredible, incredible, subtle performance um, that really, I feel like parallels his life. And I feel like Marissa Tomei is kind of on the, the same wavelength where she... 
you know, she was a hot actress years ago. And it's not that she ever stopped being physically attractive. She never stopped being physically right. attractive. But ageism in Hollywood, which is it rampant, real. is real. And it kept her from getting parts as she got older, which is a problem that, I mean, every actress faces. Right. Um, and less so for actors. And and again, just like Mickey Rourke, this movie made her relevant again. Um, and I think I think that's I think it's wonderful that this movie was able to do that. But I think that there is an irony there that a movie starring two actors who kind of uh, strayed from the limelight for various reasons um, uh, kind of got brought back into it about a movie about people that happening that to, that's happening to, to people, people who are right. aging out of their fields. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I was going to say, okay, I don't, obviously I don't think he could have carried it like Mickey Rourke did, but wouldn't it have been kind of weird to see Arnold in this role, right? Like as, as a wrestler, right? You know, Hulk Hogan went on the Howard Stern show and said that he was, he turned down the role, like he was approached with the role and Uh he turned it down and Darren Aronofsky was publicly said, no, that's bullshit. (laughs) No, we, we, we were never talking to Hulk Hogan. That's the same kind of thing, right? Where like, I mean, obviously he couldn't have carried it the way Mickey Rourke has carried it. Um, but, but it would be kind of cool, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Because of the history, so yeah, definitely. But any, but I mean, Arnold's going to be relevant till the day he dies. So well, he's. I don't think he's s- ever experienced irrelevancy. Still making action movies, except and maybe Terminator like movies. before. Um, this scene right here where they dance, it is. I feel this is one step too far. Uh, exactly what I've got in my notes. It's after he breaks down and cries and we get the Oscar clip, Mm -hmm. which is excellent. Amazing performance in that scene. There's one more beat. That's great. And the, them walking away and Mm -hmm. Stephanie taking his arm Mm -hmm. is the perfect capper for that scene. And and not just the taking of the arm, but she leans into him. Right. He spills his guts to her. You know, he, he pours out his heart right in front of her. And as they walk away, she accepts his apology. Mm-hmm. And that's enough. But instead, we've got a scene where they dance in an abandoned ballroom or something. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, it's sweet, but it was sweet enough already. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you don't expect from a movie called The Wrestler. This movie is really sweet. Oh, yeah. Very, very sweet, but not saccharine or melodramatic or anything but like that. But that moment, though, that moment where they dance in the ballroom is the moment that it verges on that, though. Because when she takes his arm and she leans into him in in a way that I am very familiar with. I mean, I've done that with my father. I do that with you. It's a very, it's just a very natural, like familiar, very... Show um, of affection, yeah. Very strong show of affection, yeah. And, and when you see her do that, oh God, I just melt a little bit when in that moment. And then when they go into the ballroom and dance, I'm just kind of like, oh. That's a little that's a little too far. Yeah. I don't believe this. I don't I I can't envision myself who I have a very good relationship with my father. Um I can't envision myself going into a ballroom in some vacant place like that and being like let's dance. Right? And so and so to envision being estranged from your father and doing, and that. doing that is mm. a little odd to me. It's a little too far. So 
I mean, all they would have had to do is set it, show that 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 moment there had some kind of right that historical there was significance to them. Like maybe he took her to ballroom dancing classes one time. Or well, something. I thought that they were going to walk into the um, the remnants of the monster house that they were talking about. Oh, the yeah. story they were telling was about the monster house and how they would go into it and she would cling to him because she was so scared and she needed him. And and so I thought perhaps that's what they were going to do. Right. Um, um, I want to talk about, we haven't talked about him at all. I want to talk about Aronofsky as a filmmaker. Do you, are, are you familiar with Aronofsky's work at all? I don't I th- know. Tell me um, what else. Okay. Well, he, his first movie was a movie called Pie. Nope. Stark black and white shot on, ooh, I want to say it was shot on eight, but I think it was actually shot on 16, black and white, 16 millimeter, very high contrast film. Uh, he made The Fountain. Oh, I really want to see it, but I haven't ever watched it. Uh, Requiem for a Dream. I, I, I'm, of course, I know the song, but I think you have seen Black Swan. Yes, I've seen Black Swan and Noah. Oh, I love Noah. I love Noah too. Not ever. Not a, people don't like that movie. What? It's really weird that this movie is made by the same guy who made those movies because this is, like I said at the beginning of the movie, this is probably his rawest, most stripped-down movie he's made since Pi. Mm-hmm. But even Pi is extremely high concept. This movie is so simple, so straightforward. Um, it's actually, the, it was at the time the first of his movies uh, that didn't have him in a writing credit role. Oh, really? Um, this was actually written by a guy that was in the movie earlier, Robert Siegel, who wrote The Onion Movie. Do you remember that? That was a thing. Um, I remember it being a thing, but I didn't. Uh, maybe I did watch it. I don't remember if I watched yeah. it or not. He wrote and directed Big Fan with Patton Oswalt, which I really like. That's an excellent movie about a guy that's a rabid football fan who gets beat up by his favorite football player. Mm-hmm. Um, real dark. <laughs> uh, and he also wrote Turbo. The snail racing movie. Oh, that's the one that I was, you know, I showed to my kindergartners and I was concerned about the fact that they thought if they drank, um, what was it, nitrous? Oh, yeah. Nitrous oxide? I want to say that, but I feel like it's wrong. Nitrous. I think racers and stuff just say nitrous. Uh, Well, anyways, I, I was concerned about the fact that I thought they might get the impression if you drank that, then you would go really fast because... That's how well, a kindergarten brain works. If and you drink it. That's what the snails do. The snails get immersed in the nitrous and they flow around and they obviously are drinking it and are like covered <laughs> in it. And then they're super fast snails. Don't do drugs, kids. Uh, anyway, of course, music in this movie, uh, as all of Aronofsky's films, uh, was scored by Clint Mansell. Um, who's first, who I love. Who has done all of Aronofsky's scores. Uh, his first score that he ever composed was for Pi for uh, an Aronofsky film. So he's been with Darren Aronofsky since the beginning. Um, of course, he composed Summer Overture for Requiem for a Dream, a.k.a. the trailer song that it is like the trailer song. Mm, right, yeah. Um, but he's also, I mean, hes you can just look at his IMDb page. He's done a lot of really impressive stuff. He, he, uh, he scored Moon, uh, Stoker, uh, the Park Chan-wook film. Uh, and High Rise most recently, um, High Rise with Tom Hiddleston. Um, but yeah, Darren Aronofsky is, is a really interesting filmmaker that I don't think knows how to make a bad movie. Every movie he's made is, is 
uh, is great. If not, I mean, he's got a couple of masterpieces under his belt. Well, I mean, the two that I've seen, I love. Well, three now. Yeah. And, yeah. and this for me, okay, so. This Black, is, again, this is not your kind of movie. Right. This is this is way out of my genres. Genres. Yeah. Um, way, way far out of them. This is not a movie that I would probably ever sit down to watch with you except for the podcast. The podcast has forced me to watch, I'm sure you are so happy about this, that it's forced me to watch a lot of movies that I just wouldn't watch. And it's not because I don't realize that it would be a good movie. This is an exceptional movie. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah, the it's writing great. is solid. The acting is solid. Everything about it is great. I just... I just don't, I'm just not drawn to watching this kind of stuff. And with my limited free time that I have, it's not something that I'm going to put into my brain. You don't opt. My brain. Yeah, you don't, you don't opt um, this. But Black Swan, however, is kind of horror. It sort of verges on oh, a yeah. horror film. For and, sure. And, um, and so that was definitely in my genre. And I loved the hell out of that movie. And then Noah is, let's be real, a fantasy movie. So. Oh, and it's, and that's what I think is really great about it is that they took a concept that is in any any context you you take out the religious context and it is fantasy it, oh yeah it is no, but, mythology but, it, i mean he he made the bible version of clash of the titans or something but this i don't understand why people wouldn't recognize it for being fantastic because it's probably the truest too the Old Testament that we're going to get with some of that yeah, stuff <laughs> in, in movies. I mean, it is, of it, course it's not, it's not accurate to the letter of the, of, of the, the word, so to speak. No, no, but, but I'm talking about like the, the creatures and all that kind of stuff that are in there. They talk about some crazy shit in the Bible and, and it is mythology. It's absolutely the de- Go look up the definition of mythology. Mythology is a story where God is interacting with man and, and it is mythology. The Bible is absolutely, and they make it into, into what those should be, where it's talking about crazy things, fantastic things, fantastic Giants creatures. and rock monsters and angels and demons. Right. And dudes that live to be 900 years old that live in That's a cave. That's crazy and shit. That's use, fantasy. Use drugs to see the future and shit. That and, movie is incredible. And I'm not talking about fantasy as in, like, I'm bashing the Bible. I mean... I, it's just it's just you you have to you have to recognize that that stuff is there and that I, I don't know I just think it's a fantastic portrayal I do too I really like Noah that this is this has become the uh the champion championing Noah episode of of pop but that that's an episode we get we've got to do we've yeah got, we've got to do Noah um so we are now seeing the downward spiral of our character, of our, of our main right. character, and kind of getting close-ish to the end of the movie. Well, we saw him go up, and we saw him go up these little increments, and mm-hmm. and now it just when you thought he was gonna he was gonna make something of himself, not make something of himself, but our perception of what happiness would be for him, um, he squanders it because he gets into an argument with Cassidy and. And she, because he wants it to move faster, I feel, than she is ready for. And she, you know, tells him there's nothing whatsoever, which isn't true. But um, but that's what she tells him. And instead of taking the rejection and being like, I'll win her over, he just goes out and goes to a wrestling match, watches what he used to be, um, and then te- lies and tells a girl that he was in a wrestling match when he wasn't. 
has sex with her, does drugs, and forgets to take his daughter out to dinner. I think his issue is that he has psychologically tied the end of his wrestling career with the end of Pam's stripping career. She quits, he quits. She starts over, he starts over. And in his mind, they do this together. You know, he's quitting because she's quitting. He's starting over because she's starting over. And they're doing these things in tandem. He's kind of matching her steps and her moves. But I don't think she is starting over stripping. No, she's not starting. No, 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 no. She's quitting. She's going to quit stripping. Right. She had said that she was planning, planning on quitting stripping. Yeah. And moving with her son. And I think that he has kind of tied the end of his wrestling career to the end of her right. stripping career. But in his, the one thing that he's got wrong, that in his mind, he's matching her steps because he intends to start over with her. Start a new life, I mean. Right. And that's his intention. Yeah. Right? And even he even says something about that. You know, she says, I've got baggage. I've got a kid. You know, you don't want that. And he says, well, maybe I do. You don't you don't know what I want. I mean, he has and a kid, we, too. And we do see him as being fantastic with kids, specifically little boys. And yeah. we're sitting here again as the audience going, oh, this would be so good for him. He would be a great. I mean, if he, he would be if a he, great dad, if he stepped up to the plate and actually did it, uh, you know, like he didn't do with Stephanie. And we're kind of seeing mm-hmm. the fallout of that right here. Um he would be a great dad. But this is, you know, he he made a date with Stephanie and it was, you know, he earned her trust back, made a date. She said, okay. And then he went out and partied all night and missed the date. And she is tired of giving him second chances. And I love the physical themes that we're seeing flow through in this. He's getting beat up by her physically. She's throwing things at him that are hitting him. Mm -hmm. And then he holds her. He puts her into a hold. And because he is the top wrestler... Right. He the opponent that he has can't get out of it. And he forces her to sit down and um, he's able to physically dominate her like that. Yeah. It's a good pull. That's good. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, Yeah. Evan Rachel Wood's really good in this. She's, uh, you know, the thing that really stood out to me about this scene is she's, you know, you know, she's breaking down and he's apologizing and she's saying, I'm done with you. You know, I, she says right here, I don't ever want to see you again. I'm tired of giving you second chances. For most of that scene, she doesn't look him in the face. She doesn't want to look at him. She's and, looking And I away. love how calm she is right here when she does look at him. And she is totally calm and totally serious and just says, don't ever come back. That girl that he fucked from the bar, she, she said something, and I thought it was a weird line, but she said, you want a party, like a fireman party? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is a fire, what is a fireman party like? And then, and then I, he wakes up in her bedroom and has fireman boots on and there's fireman boots on him and there's fireman posters. Like she's really into firemen, obviously. I thought it was just a random weird line, like from a drunk girl, but well, I guess it was this intentional. Is, this is the interesting thing. We have you know, subtitles on, uh, closed captions on, because we always do when we when we take notes and stuff. And the closed captions said that while she was wailing in the bathroom as he's fucking her, uh, it says that she is imitating a siren. Oh, I didn't catch that. I, I wouldn't have caught that either if it wasn't in the captions. I'm like, imitating siren? She's not imitating. What is that? Is that what that sounds like? I had never caught that before. And without the closed captions there, I wouldn't have caught that. But I guess that... When she fucks, she likes to make fire truck sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to laugh if that's what you do, poopling. But yeah, I mean, so, you know, this is kind of, uh, 
the last part of his descent back to his lowest point is the German potato salad. The German, fuck that German potato salad. Man, did but you ever I, had any, oh have any shit like god, that? Oh my god! Oh my god! Did you have any people like this old lady that were like yes. a little more, a little less, a little more, a little less? I mean, not this outrageous, but um, but I mean, kind of yes, this outrageous. There were there were old ladies, always old ladies, who were they wanted their meat and their cheese sliced so thin. They wanted it to be so thin that you could see through it. I'm not fucking kidding. And you and you had to do that shit. And it and you have to go when you get that slicer to work like that. Your slicer's got to be sharpened for one thing. Yeah. And you've also got to go so slow. And it's like a setting that's not on there. It's not like it's a setting. You just have to mess with it until you can get it that small. And you have to push down real hard and go real super slow when you're slicing it. And then inevitably they're going to keep telling you it's not thin enough. And then they're going to tell you they want it between separate pieces of paper. Every single slice between separate pieces of paper. Oh, and wow. it takes you, like you really 30, know the struggle. 30 hours you to really slice know. their quarter. And they want like a quarter pound of six different things. Oh, man. Oh, no. But the thing was, is I was really good at it. And and I was always really nice to my customers. So they would specifically wait and be like, no, I want her to do it. And they would not go see other people until I would slice their meat or cheese because I could get it. Oh, the trials thin. and tribulations of the deli worker. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to work in the bakery so bad they got to frost cakes and cupcakes. <laughs> I think that's really a situation of like oh, the, the grass is God. always greener. See, and th- that to you is probably really oh. visceral because I don't know that you ever cut yourself on one of those slicers. No, 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 no I did not. But, but the, it was terrifying. But the, all the fear time. of God was in you, I'm sure, about right. But that's yourself. what that thing is—that black flat thing with the handle that's dangling off the side of the slicer is is a guard, and it's got like grips, like cleats, and so you stick it onto the meat or the cheese, and then you use that to push back and forth with. So that your fingers are never anywhere near the blade. But we do. So he is quitting his job, which is kind of the last step before he gets back to gets to his lowest point, uh, which in this case is where he was before he was at his lowest point when he was wrestling. Um, And it is it is cyclical. He is back to his lowest point when he goes back to wrestling. Um, But that scene right there where he finally quits his job, it really feels like a performance. And I don't mean that in the way that Mickey Rourke is performing. I mean that in the way that Randy is performing as a wrestler for the audience where he is, he's, he's well to get color, right? He got color. Yeah. Yeah. Just like he used the razor blade, he he used that slicer to get color, wiped blood on his face and thrashed around mm-hmm. and left and made a show and put on a little performance for him before he walked out. Um, I will also say just one more but, comment. Go ahead. But the, I'm sorry. The reason that that came about was because his fear finally came to pass. And that was that someone recognized him. Um, and that's, you know, after having such a bad day and having such probably such a bad week with all of the rejection that he's gotten between Pam and Stephanie and then having to go to work. Um, it's the last thing he wanted and he was recognized and that was it. So um, he's, he is back to where he started. Well, and, you know, and having the the random sex with a girl that he doesn't know who thought that he was someone who he wasn't because she thought he had wrestled when he hadn't because he lied to right, her. Right, yeah. And, and that instant gratification that came from that and then that feeling when you wake up in the morning and you're just like, that was not... 
is not and we all do it right we all overeat or or smoke a pack of cigarettes after we've quit or or get really drunk one night when you're way too old to be getting that drunk or or whatever it is that's your poison that maybe you did before maybe you you still do every now and then in moderation but then you just overdo it and it feels so good right then and then you immediately regret and regret and that regret feels so much worse than anything else than any of the longing and I think that's what he feels when he wakes up from that girl you know that that anonymous night of sex with not the person that he's that he's actually attracted to and wants to be with. I don't want to say he's in love with. No, with he's kind Cassidy. of on the he's kind of on the rebound. He he's been rejected mm-hmm. and he just wants. It's and it's he does angry. he does drugs when we saw he didn't even do drugs like that when he did his steroids. No, no, no. He right? was offered blow before and he didn't. So so we see this is really the low point for him. The low the lowest point actually. The guy earlier in the movie that was selling him drugs. Uh, he's a guy by the name of Scott Siegel. Um, he was arrested a few months after this film's released for steroids possession and also assaulting federal officers. Well, wow. life choices. Um, I like how this movie's got such tight writing, like this instance where she shows up at his at his trailer, and you're just like, "How did she know to come where he lived?" And you're like, "No, no, it's totally plausible because, she, as she says, she got the info from the guy at the strip club who we heard very briefly." ask about drugs and say that he'd stop by his house so he knew where he lived that right. he'd been there before such they make when writers are good they make it look flawless don't they I really like the name of the strip club Cheeks Cheeks C H E E Q U E S Yeah cute uh, it, is, um, it is pretty cute The last thing I was going to say about delis and then I won't bother you anymore with about what it's like to All work right. in a deli. Give us the lowdown. Um, was that uh, we never sold anything off of our bars ever. Not the hot bar, not the cold bar. We never sold any of those salads. We never sold any of that stuff. And I'm just telling you guys, just for your health, unless you're going to some fancy-ass grocery store, you don't want to buy it from those bars because they don't change it very often. No, and a lot of that stuff has mayonnaise in it, and that's mayonnaise that mm-hmm. sat out in open yeah. air for hours. We, at least in our store, we were pretty good, or at least I was pretty good about changing the meats and cheese when, when they were out of date. But that hot bar stuff and that cold bar stuff, it would just stay there forever. Yeah, so we, we just met Bob, or the Ayatollah, uh, who is... Uh, Ram's uh, arch nemesis, I guess. And of course, they're really good friends. <laughs> you know, mm. uh, Bob, I guess, has been, uh, as we heard before, he's been selling used cars in New Mexico or Arizona or somewhere in, in the American Southwest. Right. So he's someone who is has gotten out of it, right? Right. He's gotten he's out of it. He's found a way out of made it. made something of himself. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he, uh, you know, they, they meet up and he says, you know, let's just do the old routine. He says, I'm the heel and you're the face, which are real wrestling terms. A heel is a villain and the face is uh, the hero. Right. Right. Um, but this scene right here, this moment where Cassidy finally has the epiphany uh, that she is going to quit at this very moment. I don't see exactly where this comes from. I I feel like some of the beats from before were 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 closer to where this should have been. Like that night where we saw her um 
we saw her get rejected by some guys who she was like leaning over and she was saying to them, you know, do you want to lap dance? And they were like, no, that's okay. And it happens to her a couple times. And then she goes over to Ram and even Ram says, no, he doesn't want anything that he's not ready for it after the heart attack. Right. Um, and uh, that, that moment right there. Did you notice the moment where she says you left your shoes? Yeah. Do you know what that's a reference to? No. What? When professional, not professional wrestlers, but like Olympic wrestlers, wrestlers, athletic wrestlers, when they retire, it is tradition to leave your boots, leave your shoes in the center of, of the ring. Look at that. Look at this movie being clever Isn't like that. Isn't that cute? That's so cool. Nice. <laughs> that's nice. That's good writing. Um, but anyways, what I was, what was I saying? I was saying, oh, in that beat, so she, she goes to Ram and asks if he wants a lap dance and he's like, no. The person who is older, who is really into her, all of that stuff says no to her. And then we see her look over, she walks away, and she looks over at a group of of middle-aged businessmen, and she looks at them for a moment, and then she turns around and goes back to Ram and says, yes, I'll go out on a date with you, pretty much, or I'll go out to help you shop for the clothes. And I feel like that moment like all all those right there all those beats of her getting the rejections and stuff felt very much like it, that amplified could have been reason for quitting the job on the sure. the scene but the moment that she decides to quit it doesn't doesn't feel that strong i don't know it's it's weird it's just instead of using a moment of of emotional tension or something they just take a moment and say that's it that's the moment that she chooses which is not that that real life isn't like that sometimes sometimes you walk out of your job on a slow day when nothing's gone wrong and you're just like i'm done yeah i'm just done i I get it and you know i can i can forgive it for that but it does seem like a strange moment but i do think it's cute that she leaves her shoes and and they you Mm -hmm. know that someone says hey you left your shoes um but yeah so so i think that there's uh of course a little parallel uh, with Pam, she leaves the strip club mm-hmm. and she refers to herself as Pam. She says Pam. Right. As though she's reclaiming her name. She's no longer Cassidy. Almost, she says, I'm Pam. Almost too on the nose. It's almost too much, but the thing that makes it okay, I feel like there was a, probably a better way to introduce that point or introduce that, that beat, uh, but uh, it's very similar and I think obviously paralleling um, the moment when Ram reclaims his real name, his quote unquote real name, Randy, mm-hmm. after he quits the deli because he goes out to his car and he says, Robin, Robin, no Randy. Right. It's exactly. not, it's not, exactly. his, it's not his birth name, but it's what he considers to be his real name. Right. Right. And, and then, you know, in this scene with where everybody's cheering and stuff, we hear, we hear them say over the speakers, um, the immortal wrestler or something like that. And and yes, that's what he's about to become. He is about to become the immortal wrestler because he is about to die doing this. I really think that's the reason I think he dies at the end of this movie is is because he doesn't have any other warehouse to go character wise in the story. That's why he dies at the end of this. That's why right. I where, know. Where, I know where he else dies. could he go? I mean, unless well, Pam leaves. Like he looks up to where she was standing, doesn't he? And she's gone by the time he he does his special move. Yeah. So that's you know. Well, and she, I, I didn't get the impression that she was really gone, gone. But um, but at least in his mind, she was. So. Uh, 
he just came out to the song Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses, uh, which was apparently donated to the movie by Axl Rose. Yeah. Because the movie's budget was so small and it was just uh, probably the nicest thing old Axl Rose has ever done in his entire life because oh, yeah? every story I've heard about Axl Rose is that he's a shit heel. Oh, well, so, okay then. Good on you for that one, Axel. I guess you've really reserved your place in heaven. Um, yeah, but uh, during his boxing career, Mickey, Mickey Rourke actually had a boxing career, um, and that was the song that he would come out to was Sweet Child of Mine, so they wanted to get it for this movie, and they were able to um, because of the the overwhelming generosity of Mr. Axel Rose. Uh, but yeah, so th- this speech that he's giving right here, you know, he's talking about... He's basically just talking about the themes of the movie. He's talking about the main theme, I guess, the central theme, and that is uh, feeling like you're uh, you have grown too old for the th- you've you've grown irrelevant, becoming irrelevant, right? Um, and the first time that they shot this scene, which was at a real event, a real Ring of Honor wrestling event, um, the crowd started catcalling. And um, and started uh, calling out and booing and all sorts of shit during the monologue, as opposed to what they're supposed to do, which is giving him a standing ovation and just yeah. you know uh, shower him with adoration. They yeah. they end up heckling, right? Um, and Darren Aronofsky had to come out into the ring and say, uh, you know, talk, address the audience and tell them how important the scene was. And apparently, the crowd gave themselves a "We fucked up" chant. Before they huh? did the scene, uh-huh. right? They just said, "We fucked up. We uh-huh. fucked up," which is really amazing. Um, but they they did it right eventually, and you know they got the shot. Um, but yeah, this is this is a Ring of Honor wrestling match. You can see ROH around. I actually used to tag promos for ROH to run on the CW in Chattanooga. Oh, did you in Chattanooga? Yeah, so I'm a little tiny bit familiar with this wrestling organization. Um. I don't want to spend too much. I have something else I want to talk about, so I don't want to spend a lot on it. But, man, the WWE has a long history with xenophobia, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Just racism and xenophobia. Just racism and xenophobia. As of July 2014, and I couldn't find anything from sooner than that. Maybe it's different. There has only been one black heavyweight WWE world champion ever. Oh my in God. 60, it would be 64 years. Who, who is it? I don't know. No, I no, didn't okay. see. I just scanned the article. Um, uh, but yeah, so major race problems and also just xenophobia problems in WWE. Representation is not, I don't think, one of their strong suits ever. You know, it's... it's but but it's, I'm specifically it's, like people from other countries are always bad guys. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah you're not wrong. And they get kind of political too. There was I was watching some clips where they were like, like uh, they had Russian characters and stuff coming out who were obviously the bad guys, and and they were it was like an anti Snowden thing. It was really weird. Oh, that is kind of weird. But anyways, what I really wanted to talk about was just you know, aren't you glad that you've picked a profession where as you get older it really won't make that big of a difference? Oh yeah. Right. Like you're going to be able to do this until either your mind goes or or, you know, you just decide not to anymore. Sure. Pretty much. Right. Like for me, being a teacher and a writer, it's pretty sedentary if I want it to be. Yeah, so. exactly. 
I mean, if if anything will kill me in my profession, it's sitting on my fat ass. Right. Yeah. Like that's yeah. That's the thing I've got to worry about the most. I don't have to worry about. Uh, literally wearing my yeah. heart out. No, I have to make sure. But but it's not just, I, and I don't just necessarily mean a career where like, you know, you're going to work yourself to death. But I mean a career where just like a stripper, and though I've argued against this with this movie, um, a career where you're not going to be as valuable as you get older. People right. aren't going to pay, pay the money for your services, whatever they are, as you get older because it's specifically about your age. And I think being an actor, an actress, um, a model, a stripper, a prostitute, um, a wrestler, any kind of bodybuilder, anything like that, anything where big focus is on your body, even for well, singers, but, but musicians. It, I mean, it is, it is, I mean, if you want to, to kind of boil down the definition of prostitution mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the sacrificing or the selling of your body for a particular service, not necessarily sexual, although we have talked about the, you know, the, the sexual undertones of, of wrestling and how that is paralleled in this movie specifically with stripping, which is obviously, you know, sexual in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that, you know, there, there is something to be said about that, but, uh, yeah, it is, uh, I guess it is a, it is a form of prostitution and it is kind of a form of martyrdom a little bit. You know, you're yeah. sacrificing yourself for the cause, whatever the, whatever that may be. Uh, if it's self-serving, if it's, you know, a passion, if it's your own thing, um, you know, you're still kind of sacrificing yourself in the name of that cause, which kind of makes you a martyr. And in that way, I can see bringing those messianic themes back into the fold. Um, although uh, I, I do think it's important to to draw the line at, you know, Christ's sacrifice being selfless, selfless and whereas this is, this self-serving. is self, self-serving. But yeah, it makes me definitely happy to know that, you know, most writers don't even hit their prime till they're in their 30s or 40s, so... So Good. we're getting, Good this things. is the final shot of the movie right here where he stands up on the... Uh, and and the whole time, um, I forget post. what his name is, the guy he's fighting. The, the Ayatollah. The Ayatollah. The whole time he's just like, you can stop, you can stop, we don't have to go any farther, you know? And he knows that he's, he's not able to take it. Um, yep. And he just keeps pushing it. And just like the scene where where he walks into the deli and the crowd cuts off and stops cheering when he walks through those doors, we have the same the same moment mm-hmm. where we've got the cheering and he leaps and then the crowd stops. Silence. I, I it's it's supposed to be ambiguous, but I think it's clear that he died. I think when you're talking character, you're talking story, you're talking themes as a writer, um looking at this from the perspective of 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 the script and the only place if you added another 10 or 15 minutes to this movie there's nowhere that it could go no it, you, it, you couldn't you it, couldn't fix the problem well it can only it can only devolve into melodrama right yeah that's what i'm saying yeah you can fix the problems you can have him win the match and be okay and then go home and he's got a girlfriend and his daughter says that it's okay they can be oh, friends well, and a, whatever that's and a then different it's end. yeah that's and then it's that's all, saccharin right and, but that's what i'm saying is that it devolves into melodrama and it devolves into bad writing where you don't buy any of it and it doesn't make you feel the way it's supposed to make you feel the messages don't fit anymore and we've talked talked about it before where that's the most important thing 
is coming away with the message that you're supposed to come away with. You've got to and keep I, it in mind. And I and I feel like this this movie is very thematically sound mm-hmm. and very consistent, and it's got a lot of great ideas about identity. Uh, identity is a big one, and and feeling irrelevant and ageism, mm-hmm. and you know, lots of and this just stuff. age, just growing older. Yeah, just just being old, just having and to art. Get old. I think it's art. Art. Too. It's about yeah. It's about art and what you sacrifice for art. For instance, and we whether didn't, or not art is selfish. We didn't mention this, but. I don't think for Cassidy or Pam that that's art for her. That's not her art, right? No, and that's the difference, like I said, when I said she works as a stripper and right. he is a exactly. wrestler. When her when she reclaims her name, it is her birth name, it is her real name. Yes. When he reclaims his, it is his wrestling name. Yes. And that's the difference. Um, I do feel like the one thing that has, has always kind of bugged me about this movie is that the movie perhaps unintentionally lays... Uh, Randy's downward spiral at Pam's feet. She is the instigator of his downfall. Even if his rea- the reaction that he has is his fault, we talked about the one terrible thing he does in this movie, and that is when he kind of explodes at her and he tells her to get up on the stage and shake her ass and squeeze her titties together and all this stuff because she rejects him and she says, right. whatever you think we have, we don't have. I can't do this. You don't want this bad. And I don't think it's it. a real rejection. I think it's the her questioning herself and her questioning her situation. And Oh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it's normal in a relationship it's her, it's for her those just kind of things. being self-conscious, and I totally understand and that. let's be real, guys. Sometimes you've got to, you know, come back a couple times before, before the girl's going to say okay no you're right I do like you it does happen like that sometimes I so. do see both sides of it but that's the one thing that's that's only ever stuck with me is that the, the movie maybe accidentally lays that at her feet and I think that's a little unfair to her as a character but uh, she's certainly not as complete a character as I think Randy is but you know he is but she's got a lot of characters. she's got a lot so. going for her, and the movie is called The Wrestler so yeah <laughs> um, final thoughts on The Wrestler I'm not in my genre. I would never watch it except for this podcast, but it's a fantastic movie. So it's real good. Really great pick. Uh, Not what I would have expected our first Aronofsky to be, but I'm happy. Yeah, definitely not with the with the other options out there. But there there will be more Aronofsky coming down down the pipeline. And that is a that is a promise. So I guess that'll wrap us up for this episode. As always, you can find us on our website at popcornpoops.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play and YouTube. You can uh, follow us on social media on Twitter at Popcorn Poops or individually. I am at Dusty Cram Cram. I am at J Casper Kramer. You can also like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. And social media is the best way to stay updated about the show, uh, including getting our weekly movie still identification game which is a lot of fun if you want to participate in that uh, you can also subscribe to us or follow us on twitch that is uh, twitch.tv slash the pixel poops again we don't have a schedule or anything like that uh, so if you follow us and turn on notifications uh, that will be the best way to know whenever the the spirit moves us so to speak to to stream some games and have a little bit of fun um, if you want to support the show, uh, of course, you can go to our shop on our website and buy some merchandise that is uh, branded with popcorn poops. Uh, you can donate by clicking the donut button on our website, or you can go to audibletrial.com slash popcorn poops and sign up for a free trial. Uh, and the best way, as always, to support the show is by submitting a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you do that, we will read it at the top of the show. Uh, again, our poop pal for this week was the Projection Booth podcast. Please check those guys out at projection-booth.com. They're doing a lot of great work over there. Uh, next week, 
Yeah. What are we watching for? Hashtag Poopling Picks Month. We are watching Tom Holland's 1985 film, Fright Night. Oh my goshness, that sounds so nice. Sounds definitely sounds like a Jessica to- movie to me. <laughs> it sounds like a Dustin movie as well. This is going to be a True. this is going to be a fun episode, and I can't wait. So until next time, take care. Bye bye. We are the popcorn. Poop-